Welcome to Temple Talks, a new podcast from Temple Israel in Minneapolis, where Jewish wisdom meets our ever-changing world. Join us as we talk with our favorite partners and thought leaders from around town and around the world. We hope these talks will inspire you, challenge you, and give us all new ideas about Judaism, religious life, and social justice. We are very excited to have the student rabbi, Rebecca Hornstein here. It's gonna be ordained in May of 2021. So you will not be student rabbi soon, you will be rabbi rabbi. You know, just let's start at the beginning. Like, how did you decide to go to rabbinical school? And what is that all? And how'd you decide recon? Oh, interesting <laughs> questions to start out with. Well, you might know I grew up with my mom as the rabbi. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so rising. <laughs> so I always tell people it was the first thing I wanted to be when I was a very small child. And then it was the last thing I wanted to be for most of my life after that. It's a but, good way of saying it. <laughs> but I think I grew up, you know, learning from you the power of Jewish ritual um, and the power of um, caring for other people and how that was part of our tradition. And I think from dad, I learned about how justice was part of our tradition and his Jewish practice was about organizing and about justice. So I think I learned those two things really early on from both of you about the importance of both of those, all of those sides of um, our tradition and all of those ways of being Jewish and um, and the ways we, you know, bring Judaism and bring the divine into the world. So that was very foundational for me. Um, and then I think the, you know, Jewish community was obviously very important to me growing up, but again, being a rabbi was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, and then I think it it started to shift a little bit when I was in college and I had been doing organizing work for a while. And I had kind of like remembered that there's a thing called faith-based community organizing. And I was kind of curious to learn more about it. Um, and I um, interned one summer for Isaiah, which organizes churches around racial and economic justice in the Twin Cities. It's a great organization. And I was just really, I think, struck by um, how much deeper and better the work of justice felt when it was coming from a community that already kind of had shared values and was already saw itself as being committed to each other in some way and in relationship to each other in some way. Um, and so I think I really learned that from all the, you know, Lutheran church ladies and priests and pastors that I worked with at Isaiah about how powerful that could be. And so that was kind of one, one moment that I, I was, you know, became more interested in, in exploring Judaism in a different way. And kind of from that lens, it had always been part of my life, but it, it made me want to kind of deepen it, deepen my relationship to Judaism a little bit more. And so got more involved in Jewish community at McAllister, where I was going to school and got more deeply involved in justice work kind of at the same time coming out of that experience. And then after college, I went to work in the labor movement, um, kind of continuing the organizing path I was on um, in the Boston area and really fell in love with the community I was working with. I also did the Join for Justice Fellowship, which was all about kind of combining um, Judaism and justice and really helping young organizers ground in, in Jewish tradition. 
when I was working in the labor movement, I worked for a coalition of labor unions um, north of Boston and just loved kind of being in a community that was really building power for justice and um, was really tight knit. And it was full of people who had been doing justice work for such a long time for their whole lives. And um, I saw as we were doing this work together, um, people there were wrestling with a lot of really big, hard questions. Um, they had been, you know, doing work in the labor movement since the seventies and the world was worse now <laughs> than it was when they started and had dedicated their lives to it. And they were grappling as they were nearing retirement with, you know, what, what does that mean? Um, that, you know, the world in a lot of ways, we didn't do what we thought we were going to do. What did we do? And they were really wrestling with these big questions about their legacy and meaning. Um, and also, you know, it was a working class community and um, a lot of the people I worked with were older. And so people were having really serious health problems. Um, someone on our board died while I was there. Someone on our board who I was very, very close with, her husband died of cancer, Very had a very quick um, illness and died of cancer um, in a way that was really shocking to her. Um, and people had, you know, kids who died of um, heroin overdoses. There's a big opiate problem here. Um, and Lynn. And so, you know, I love doing the big work, the big kind of picture political work, but I wanted to learn how to be there for people. Um, also like in their moment, their like life moments, um, that was that they were dealing with too, and wanted to learn how to be kind of a better presence for people in that and, um, and how to be with people in a different kind of way. Then also at the same time, I'd been doing a lot of organizing in the Jewish community and had like this whole big network of Jewish organizers and join. And so I was deepening my Jewish identity there um, in new ways. And so, you know, and also was, you know, getting tired. It was a lot of work and wanted to know what I, you know, felt like I needed something a little deeper to be able to ground myself in the long haul um, of doing organizing and justice work. And so all those things kind of combined wanting being like, okay, what can I do? That's like a big picture helps me do the big picture political work, helps me ground spiritually so I can do that work better. And in the longer term and helps me, teaches me how to be with people in their deeper life moments. And so all those things, I was like, well, I guess maybe lack of imagination, <laughs> you know, having grown up with you as a rabbi, it kind of is like all those, you know, I, I was like a rabbi is a role. You can really do all of those things. Um, and rabbinical school is a way I can dig into those things in a deeper way. Um, so that's, that was kind of that mix of, uh, of all of that happening kind of at the same time as. Um, what led me to rabbinical school, I think. And I know Rabbi Citrin was also. Yeah. Right? Rabbi. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, McAllister, too, had a lot of, as I was doing a lot of um, on-campus activism, the people who were most supportive, both, I think, of me as a person and of the work I wanted to do in the world were all the chaplains, <laughs> um, and especially um, Rabbi Barry, who was just such an important mentor to me and um, really helped me be more intellectually curious about our tradition too. And, um, and really supported me to, yeah, to explore more and to lead. Yeah. And, you know, I was a leader of the Jewish group on campus, which I didn't think I would do and, and loved doing that too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So tell me the, the connection to the reconstructionist movement and, and cause I feel like you've really made 
that that theology and philosophy your own. So yeah. reconstructing Judaism, reconstructionists, you know, people don't really know the difference. Yeah, there's a lot I really connect to about reconstructionist Judaism. It felt like just such a natural connection uh, when I started like looking at rabbinical schools and exploring RRC. Um, I just automatically felt at home there. I felt like it was a place I was asking the same kind of questions that I wanted to be asking. And I think there's a couple of key ideas in Reconstructionist Judaism that I really appeal to me. One, they're both kind of jargony. They come from Mordechai Kaplan, who was a thinker in the 1920s and 30s. And he was kind of a very- you gotta believe in Mordechai Kaplan if you're <laughs> yeah, an artist. Exactly. He was a very heady guy. But he there were a couple of things he said that I think are really good. One, he thought, he said that um, God is the um, force that makes salvation possible. So that makes like any kind of uh, liberation in the self or in the world, any kind of like getting better possible. So that's kind of an act of faith that we believe that things can be better than they are right now and that we can be better than they are right now. And that force of change that makes that possible, that's what God is. And so I loved that. Um, I loved the idea I think probably most importantly that Judaism is an evolving civilization, which is super jargony and <laughs> hard to understand. But basically what it means is that um, like in each generation, the project of Judaism is really about taking a tradition we've inherited and um, being in relationship with it. So that means changing it and allowing it to change us too. Um, and so it's kind of like this magic that happens when we meet these really old texts that sometimes speak to us immediately and sometimes feel awful and sometimes are just hard to understand and weird <laughs> and us making sense of them and um, being changed by them and changing them and bringing it into our context and making it meaningful for ourselves and for the people around us like that's what the that's what Judaism is um, that's the project of it and that's a thing it's not like tradition is this thing that's been consistent it's been like tradition is change so um, the tradition we've inherited is one of change and is one of constantly people looking at something and saying this is like old and archaic how can we make this make sense for us and then we've just kind of inherited that snowball <laughs> and are kind of adding our own layer onto it um, as we are now and even if we think we're not doing that and we're just taking a static tradition and keeping it the same we're not it's impossible we're changing it all even the people who think they aren't changing it are um so um so I love that idea too and that that's how we can see ourselves as Jews is um yeah there's not something that's outside of us that's tradition it's it's really about uh, what we do with it and making it relevant for us you know, I was just working with the bat mitzvah for um, Tazria Mitzora this year and how every other year in my 34 plus years in the rabbinate, you know, this is the one that's hard and blah, blah, blah. But this year after COVID, it's like, oh my God, that this is unbelievably relevant, right? To separate people who are ill, to isolate, to, you know, make sure their clothes are clean. And, and, and you know, it's just really amazing to see how relevant all of a sudden this yeah. text that we really didn't think. So it's the same. Yeah. I mean, I believe. And I love how like, you know, in our Torah cycle, you can come back to the same text and every mm -hmm. year it means something totally different to us, depending exactly. on where we are. And, um, because of our lives, not because exactly. the text has changed. Exactly. Right. And I think that, um, 
Yeah, I think we're <clears throat> reformed Jews are really reconstructionist Jews. Yeah. Well, reconstructionists think everyone's reconstructionist. So. Oh, well, that's, good. <laughs> yeah. that's a healthy ego about yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is you're, you know, you are very artistic. I don't know if everybody knows that who's listening to the podcast, but you've always been very artistic and you've really taken up an art form of so fruit. And I, I just how you got into it, how all of a sudden you, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's not all of a sudden, but it seems like to me, there's like this intense passion that has emerged. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so fruit has been just a really powerful spiritual practice for me and um, art has always been a spiritual practice for me. So I think there's just, a, um, you know, something that happens when you're really engaged in doing something creative that I feel like is really becoming a vessel for and partnering with the divine in a different kind of, a more like embodied kind of way. You know, can you kind of like get in the weird time warp of <laughs> getting in the zone um, creatively and you can kind of like take a step back and be like, oh, wow, I made that. And I was like, well, I yeah, I made that. But I also feel like I didn't make it alone in a way. So um, being, you know, I think like creation is something that happens all the time. And when we do creative things, then we become kind of part of that act um, in a more direct way. So I think it's always kind of, I, I didn't have the words for it always, but I think there's always been something super spiritual for me about making art. And then I discovered So Fruit, which is like ancient scribing. Um, this past year, I had a friend who was becoming a scribe, a friend at RC Rabbi, Rebecca Richmond. And I was just so interested in what she was doing and um, thought like, oh, this is like a visual medium. You know, I never had like super connected to like, uh, singing prayer. I inherited my mom's vocal <laughs> talent. So that Your was father's all. too, I think. Okay. All right. We'll blame, um, we'll blame him for half of that. So it wasn't like, a, you know, creating beautiful harmonies was like the way I was going to experience God. Um, and, you know, I found a way into prayer, but it never was like a natural fit. You know, art always was like a more natural spiritual practice. And so I was like, oh, there's like a visual mode in Judaism that's spirit, you know, that, that is spiritual. And so, um, got connected to a teacher and started doing it and just, yeah, really found it to be really powerful. I love like, um, that there's just such this rich tradition in Judaism of scribing and a really, really rich body of Jewish law. And I liked the idea that you could have a discipline around your spiritual practice and kind of follow in the, the footsteps of other people who have also connected to God in that way. Um, so I think like a lot of Jews find in prayer, um, I found in scribing, um, but yeah, but liked that there were like rules that you had to do. And, you know, there's like a whole theology behind it. Like, um, the Kesset has so fair, which is like the scribal, the book that has all of the laws for scribes in it, like opens up with a kind of saying like, be careful scribes because scribes can create worlds and destroy worlds. So <laughs> you have to really follow the rules. It's like powerful, magical stuff in here. you know. Um, and there's like this big tradition in Judaism of letters really having power and God existing in the Torah and in the written word. And so it's like not something to take lightly that you're bringing that into the world. Um, uh, and, and, you know, and you have this whole tradition, you like, if you make a mezuzah, it has to look exactly like mezuzah would have looked forever. So you really have to follow the rules and like, make sure that it's, it's right. And so, um, so I really connected with that and, 
Um, you know, there's like all these rules for writing the name of God because like it, God's there, like God's in that name that you write. <laughs> so you like really have to be careful and you have to like pause and have an intention. Um, like you have to have Kavanah when you write it. So you have to, and you have to like say a prayer. You have to like really get in the mindset to like bring God into the world. Um, and so I, I kind of like that, like kind of mystical part of it too. Why don't you talk a little bit about the tools that you have? Sure. Yeah. I have, um, uh, you use a feather that you cut into a quill. And it's a turkey feather? Yeah, Yeah, a turkey feather. Uh Uh-huh. And um, here is the ink, the scribal ink I use. And what is that made out of? Uh, I don't Uh, know. Is it, is it? I don't know. It's just, I don't know what it's made out of. It's like kind of a um, thick ink. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. You buy it from an Orthodox man in Jerusalem. online (laughs) okay Uh, yeah and traditionally it's met you know in the orthodox world men are scribes but there's this like new kind of burgeoning group of women who have taken it up too um and so I think that's pretty cool too um and then you know I yeah there's also um if you're scribing like a mezuzah or tefillin or obviously a Torah scroll then you write on a cloth which is made out of animal skin and it's like treated in a specific way. Have you written like a, what have you written? Yeah, I'm working on mezuzah. I'm working on getting like my practice mezuzah right so I can do real ones. Oh, that's great. Um, so that's fun. I'm excited about that. Some of the things you can write are are like different Miggy Lot. So you could write, uh, you know, Miggy Lot Esther, if you wanted, or Ruth. So like there's different scrolls you can write. Um, and then kind of the main halachic documents that scribes that are done in a very specific halachic way are it's called Stam. So um, yeah, so it's Mezuzot, Tefillin, and Sefer Torah, like kind of are in their own specific category and have their own specific rules that you have to follow. I just looked up the ingredients for kosher ink. <laughs> okay, tell me what I have here. <laughs> you have water, oak uh-huh. gall nut, gum arabic, soot, longwood, copper sulfate, or iron sulfate. There you go. It's yep, there it is. That's why it can last for 2000 years because right. It's made out of crazy, amazing things. Yeah, for sure. And how about the Ketuba that you've written? Yeah. Talk, so then, talk right, about your Ketuba project. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, I another thing that scribes do or can do is make Ketuba. And that's not, um, but I mean, obviously it is a halakhic, a Jewish legal document, but it has a different set of rules than you would have to do for something with the name of God in it. Like, um, you know, like, to fill in or a mezuzah or a safer Torah. You know, I've been kind of like interested in finding ways to um, connect my rabbinic training with art um, in different ways and kind of had this idea of doing like a side hustle that was a two boat in some way. And then I um, ended up getting the opportunity to, to apply for a grant and have been making Ketuba the last year. And it's been really fun. And um, so part of the project is working with couples to come up with custom text for their 
Ketuba. And so doing some of the helping people kind of vision what their partnership is going to look like and articulate some of the values they want to bring in. I think, you know, I'm engaged in the process of preparing to get married and there's not always a lot of places to actually in the planning process to take a step back and, um, and really think about what you're preparing to do. Um, I found, you know, it's a lot of like, oh my God, it costs that much money and <laughs> making music and do they want chicken. Are we going to have yeah, vegetarian? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I also um, last year took a class with Rabbi Art Green and he said something that I thought was really interesting that most American Jews aren't year cycle Jews, they're life cycle Jews. So most American Jews don't engage necessarily around the year cycle, like around Shavuot or like Sukkot or maybe the high holidays, but not, you know, they're not guided in their Jewish lives by the year cycle so much, but they are by the life cycle. Like they come to, you know, like you have, like having your B'nai Mitzvah is a really big deal. And, um, and they, you know, people start to look for rabbis again around their wedding and when they have kids and want to be held in those like life moments again, um, funerals. So um, it kind of made me think when he said that, like, oh, wow, like for a lot of people, their idea of Judaism and God is stuck in what it was when they were 13, <laughs> because that was the last time they really got the space to think about it. And so what an opportunity the next, you know, people get married, obviously, in all stages of their life. But for, you know, people in my cohort who might be looking for a rabbi because they're getting married, um, it might be the last, it might be the first time in a while that they've really thought about their Jewish life in a deep way and have, you know, they've changed a lot and their idea of how the world works and their spiritual life and all that has probably changed a lot since they were 13, I would hope. <laughs> um, and so how can we help people kind of articulate that and their, that moment and connect to, you know, see how Jewish tradition can help kind of hold some of that too. Um, so that was part of the idea was to have it kind of be a deeper process for people choosing their Ketuba language and art and like an opportunity to kind of like take a step back um, together a little bit. So it's been really fun to kind of help people through that process and people just come up with the most beautiful things. So what's a what's something that you remember that somebody brought up? You know, I ask people to kind of like think about the interplay of um, like partnership and independence and how they want to come to each other for support. And I think it's just so cool how in so many of the like incredible people and relationships I've worked with people have such different um ways of articulating that in such uh and they're all beautiful and they're all so different from each other um mm -hmm. I think that's been that's been really cool to see and people just have different yeah different values they really want to like make sure get in there <laughs> um and so I think like you know, I have the couples generate their list of values and the way they want to talk about their relationship. So it feels really unique to that relationship. So that's good. And there's a lot of like, you know, people, I think also like for us as rabbis to think about, it's like people want to bring in Judaism and Jewish tradition. And like, even most of the couples I work with are interfaith in some way or multi-faith in some way. And a lot of times, even the Jewish partner who really wants a ketubah is multi-faith in some way. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's important to people that like all of their, all of the heritages and traditions that they come from also um, be included too in this Jewish tradition. I think our tradition can be expansive enough to hold that. So did your first ketubah, did it feel, how did that feel for you to like complete it? 
Well, I had gotten all this grant money and I was like, I've never made a ketubah before. So I was really scared that I was going to be bad at it or that, you know, I wasn't going to know how to do it or that like I wouldn't be able to like deliver. And um, the first time I did it, it just felt really natural and um, and lovely. And it's fun. The first one I did was written in Aramaic and like kind of the more traditional ketubah language. And it's just, yeah, it's like a business contract and it's traditional form. So it was like interesting to really think about what I was writing um, then too. And, um, and it's just like you get a blank page and there's a million things you can do with it. It's just so exciting, I think. Um, even within kind of like the boundaries of this one tradition, like there's just such opportunity for both like the couples I'm working with to be creative about what they want on there and have it really reflect them. And for me to get to be really creative. Um, so that's really fun. Um, yeah. And I just did my first one in Hebrew and in English in modern Hebrew and English. And that was fun too, to have it really say, you know, not just the traditional kind of business contract Aramaic, but have it really say what the couple wanted it to say and kind of be the vessel bringing that vision to life for them. So, yeah. That's great. That's great. And what about the art around it? Because you, you've done both the so fruit and the art part yeah. of the Ketubo. Totally. That's something I'm still, you know, I'm still figuring out how to help, you know, what's the right structure to help people really think about what they want that image to be. But um, I'm working with a couple now who loves the outdoors and like hiking is something that's like super important to them. And so we're working on some images from really important hikes in their relationship that they've taken that we can make a tuba art out of. Um, so another couple I'm working with love like this 18, this artist from the 1800s, William Morris, who did these like incredible like ornate wallpaper designs that were super cool, like just really interesting art. And they love, you know, they love that artist a lot. And so um, I'm thinking about how to incorporate some of that um, type of design into, um, into their artwork. So that's, so each one is kind of a fun creative challenge for me too, to um, get to like bring someone's vision and what they care about to life. Yeah. That's really lovely. That's really cool. So the idea that the art, not only the words, but the art around it reflect, which I think is a more kind of traditional way that modern, um, you know, so frame sort of individualized Ketubo, but I love that you're also doing it in the word, not just, and there's no real, um, there's no real book that tells you what art is okay and what art you Yeah, know, exactly. So. so that's the thing is yeah. there's a lot of room for creativity um, in this particular tradition, I think. Right. And, right. Um, and it's, you know, these couples, most of the ones I work with are queer and interfaith. And, you know, it's not like the halakhic ketubah, but I think that the idea of it, that there's something we're agreeing to and that we're going to be literally on the same page about it and have something hanging in our house that reminds us of what we wanted when we decided to do this. Like mm-hmm. it feels like a really important tradition. Um, even yeah. if it's about how many Zuzim you're whatever putting down on the person or <laughs> the more problematic uh right. part of the tradition. But yeah. um but maybe what the values are that you Yeah, what is valuable? How do you want to be in relationship with each other? Like what do you yeah feels like the thing you want to be agreeing to? Mm-hmm. I think it's important to have it written down. It's true. 
And it's also really nice to think about, um, you know, so many couples like, I, I don't know if you've heard about these, like the wine bottle and you put it in a case and you put a letter in it. Do you know this whole thing? Yeah. So people are trying to get this with so many sort of, you know, secular ways yeah, of doing yeah, things, yeah. but we have the tradition, right. so we might as well use, I mean, not only might as well, that, but it, it gives it yeah. much more meaning. And I think it makes it feel cooler. Like if there was a Jewish tradition that was, you know, 2000 years old of people putting letters in wine bottles, that yeah. would also feel really cool. But without yeah. that, it doesn't feel as cool to me. But right. you know? exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, exactly. so it feels cooler when there's something behind it. And, and yeah, I know like you and dad have like your custom, like you wrote your own text and I, you know, mm-hmm. it's like hanging right around the corner from where you're sitting. And I, That's yeah, true. I've like read it before. It's like a nice thing to have up. It's like mm-hmm. so nice to see what you guys were thinking about when you were mm-hmm. like in mm-hmm. an earlier stage of life. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any traditions that have been interesting to you lately or that you've been feeling connected to? I've really loved Shabbat. I think that has been in this time of COVID because literally I can go from the end of the Shabbat service to dinner. And um, and so that that's been a really nice piece because so often... I don't get home until, you know, eight o'clock, even though services are at six and, and then it makes it, and I don't always have time to make dinner. Now I have time to make dinner. And so it's been this very nice kind of um, relaxing time and just really combining that home ritual with the synagogue ritual. Mm-hmm. That I really like. So that's mm-hmm. been particularly nice for me. Mm-hmm. I think the other rituals that right now have become very, very important are sort of marking the anniversaries. You know, I'm just thinking because we're at the anniversary of when we really started this COVID journey here and at Temple, literally, you know, the 14th was the day that we closed everything down and did not go back. Um, we had one last bat mitzvah and then that was it a year ago. And just the idea of what that means and how I feel like everybody's getting a little, you know, whether you acknowledge it on the surface or not, your body knows, your emotions know. And it's been an interesting kind of process about how to open up and what that means with the vaccine. So mm-hmm. those are the kinds of things. And I came up with a ritual that I've loved that I've worked with a lot of people who have had a diagnosis often of cancer and are going into surgery. And I just offered it to the congregation, you know, taking a rock and saying the highlights and lowlights of this year, and then put in what got you through and then passing it along and mm-hmm. then saying a prayer. And you know, it's not necessarily, I mean, it's somewhat of a Jewish ritual that a rock is important during times of loss. Um, but it's a nice kind of ritual to do and to think about. So, All right. Well, thank you for being here, Rebecca Hornstein. I appreciate you asking me to do this. It's really fun. It's uh, so fun. I like ways I get to connect to Temple. <laughs> yeah. From far away, so... 
We all extend our warmest mazel tov to Rabbi Zimmerman and Rabbi Hornstein on Rebecca's phenomenal accomplishment. And if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, we hope you'll share it with a friend or someone else at the congregation, as well as any questions or comments can be directed to tmoss at templeisrael.com, and I will make sure they reach their proper destination. Thank you again for listening, and we'll meet you on the next episode of Temple Talks.